0: This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to our final show of the Trump era.
1: Maybe. I don't know. It remains to be seen.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. To, if you're not paying attention, by the most, uh, can't most people re- listen to this uh, show? The election will have occurred more than likely, or will be occurring as you're listening to it?
1: Probably not. It will not be
0: over. My prediction is it will not be over while, by the time they're listening. Well, they could be listening years from now. It might be. true. <laughs> Going back, this is a historical reference to a time in the past when you listened to something that already happened. Uh, don't you ever like do that? I, just as an aside. I like to go back and listen to um, sports people who are predicting what's going to happen in an event, and then you listen to them a couple of days later, and they go, they were so far off, it wasn't even close.
1: Yes, you know, it's just kind of most of them are always wrong. Most,
0: yes, like the people who thought Michigan actually was a good football team. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I
1: not was cool. not among those people.
0: Yeah, well, just, again, another aside, because I had to hear this today. Uh, Penn State is 0-2 and they're ranked higher than Michigan, who is one and
1: 1-1. One. Yes, how- but that's because one of their losses was to Ohio State. And do you really think that Michigan's going to beat Ohio State? They're already counting that against Michigan.
0: So <laughs> they're just, I, think, I don't think Ohio State's going to lose a game until they get to a playoff uh, because there's yeah. nobody in the Big Ten who's going to They gonna-
1: might as well actually just dispense with the rest of the season because the only three teams that can win are Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. That's it. That's the entire yeah. list of contending teams for the national championship.
0: Well, they should just pick another team just to for fodder. Well, for- you
1: know, Georgia is kind of like at the next tier,
0: but they're not going to win. Yeah. Well, Alabama already showed that's not going to happen. Anyway, we, we didn't come here to talk about football because we haven't seen any. We came to talk about the election. And tomorrow is November 3rd, the, the date that you've all been waiting for for the last four years, some with trepidation, some with joy. Uh, I suspect it's going to be about half of you going to be disappointed tomorrow or a week from now or whenever we actually find out. And I want to say this up front. Well, wait
1: a minute, though. We have to parse what you just said there because however many people listen to us, I would assume that the um, political slash demographic breakdown skews heavily towards Trump. Just a a suspicion.
0: Yes. Just a suspicion.
1: So I have a feeling that – it's going to be either very close to 100% very unhappy or happy either way. There's not going to be a 50% breakdown.
0: That's fair. I, I should have said 50% of the country is not going to be happy. And I don't know which 50 yet because we'll, that weight remains to be seen. I do want to say, and I, I hearken back to something that was written in 2016 by our friend, that he was disappointed the Sunday after the election. I hope he is disappointed again this year. The Sunday after the election.
1: Yes, as as do I. <laughs> That's I know we thought last thing, but if- as am I. Yes, we are both. We will both be, uh, and not not because it's about him, but because I simply disagree with his perspective on this election. And while I will not be rioting, I will not be preparing my Molotov cocktails. I will not be uh, out on Twitter proclaiming the the end is nigh but I do have a very strong preference in this election and I will be disappointed if Trump loses and we can kind of
0: talk a little bit about that. Well, I I think that's important for for us to talk about because some, by some accounts, 90 million people have already voted. Uh, Regardless of what you think about mail-in voting, early voting, I think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So do I. I, I think it, I understand uh, absentee balloting. I understand certain people can't be there because of other commitments. I don't think 90... Now, 135 million people voted in the last election in 2016. So we're telling me that 90 million people voted between whenever they started... I think Arizona could start a month before the election. Between then and now, 90 million people have already voted. That's... If that trend would hold we might be looking at close to 200 million people voting, which I don't think is even possible because I don't think we have that many voters. But again- Well,
1: even, you know, the other point about that is that in many ways, the election may already be over. We we just don't know who won.
0: Well, and that's the part. So I feel like we talked about this a little bit last week. There were some places where people were trying to see if they could get their votes back and change their vote. I, I think unless you're, if you're on the fence, I don't think you should early vote. I mean, I don't think you should early vote necessarily if you if you can vote face to face. I'm not able to do that this year, so I did have to do an absentee ballot. But I think on a normal basis, I think you need to go out and I don't know if it's just face the music, if if it's face the I don't know, there's something about pulling that lever or pushing that button or whatever it is. You just well move.
1: again, you and I are probably among the minority, but I I don't want we've talked about this. I don't want the maximum number of people voting. You I mean say, oh, you're that's because you are into vote suppression. No, no, because voting requires a bare minimum of civic responsibility. It's not very difficult, but one of the things that you should have to do, and again, I'm exempting people who overseas truly need absentee ballots. There's extenuating circumstances. Obviously, that's fine. But right. this trend where we don't show up at the polling place and we just sort of mail in these ballots, setting aside even all the ballot integrity problems that that presents, and they are massive, Mm -hmm. it's no, you should have to actually get in your car or get on your unicycle or whatever else, if you're AOC, whatever solar powered device you're going to use to get down to the polling places and take the step of showing up and doing it in person. It's really very little to ask as part of being a citizen of this country who has a privilege to vote. And I think it's a very bad trend. And I think it's an intentional trend because the Democratic Party believes that the more people that don't have to show up and vote in person, the better they're going to do. We'll see whether that plays out in this election. I will say from some of the information that I've seen, and not from Fox News polls, but from part of the resistance, some of these news organizations, that they are not doing nearly as well as they had expected. Uh, in some of these early returns. We'll see, again, whether that trend proves to be accurate.
0: I know in the state of Pennsylvania, which is considered a swing state, a state we happen to reside in, uh, you cannot begin counting the ballots, the mail-in ballots, until tomorrow. You, and I don't know if it's 8 p.m. They can start counting them or if it's before that. But it has to be on Election Day, and you can't count it before that. So there, if I already saw that the Attorney General for the state of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, yes, said Biden won. Which I think is interesting.
1: Because well, what he said was basically that if Biden doesn't win, that it will, of course, be because of some sort of fraud or other other scam. Like there, there's some there's some uh, neutral professionalism for you. What, what do you expect? Well, I mean, he's he yeah. this that's an elected position and he's a Democrat. But you talk about again. So you expect people to have confidence in. The ballot returns when the attorney general is saying, oh, by the way, I'm telling you right now that if it's other than Biden, then it's corrupt and not legitimate. There you go. Well,
0: I, I tonight, so I watched this. I was on YouTube. Just scan around because I like to see what, what's out there. Uh, Van Jones, our, our favorite communist. Uh, yeah, but you
1: know what? And and I'll, but Just Van right? Jones actually sometimes makes very good points. I mean, yes, he is a communist, proud capital C, but in the last election, he's the kind of guy that you don't know what he's going to say. And so it's interesting to listen to some of the things that he says, because he doesn't say the normal pabulum that pretty much you get from every other sort of partisan individual that's out there. He sometimes kind of goes off the reservation where people on his side are saying, hey, wait a minute, what, what, what are you talking about? That's not a good thing to say. So what what did Mr. Jones have to say about the, uh, the
0: election? I, I just remi- remind everybody this was Mr. White lash. Just
1: oh, absolutely no. I I get that. I'm not. I disagree with him fundamentally and about everything. But I have heard him say things in terms of observations about yeah. what happened last election that. No, almost none of the other people who lost that election are willing to say. So all I'm saying is that he's a guy that kind of marches to his own drummer a little bit. And he sometimes, even though he's completely misguided in his policy positions, actually makes some observations that are more interesting than listening to a panel of New York Times editorialists who will inevitably just spout whatever the hive mind is telling them to say.
0: Yeah. So it was a TED Talk. Now, I thought TED Talks was supposed to be brief. This guy was 16 and a half minutes, so it wasn't brief. But he was talking about, uh, basically, he said the concession speech is not written in the Constitution, but it it saves the country from having violence at the turnover of power and that there could be a coup. Okay. Uh, He... Apparently he just started to read the constitution this year. Uh well listen, it, in I his defense,
1: yes, most communists don't really have much time for the constitution.
0: So well, it was a, a sacred document, except the way he talked, it didn't sound like he thought it was a sacred document, it just said the words. But he basically said, I didn't I bet you didn't know that the person who wins the the election might not be the president and the person who There might not be an electoral college win. And then through these crazy machinations and levers of power, they can still get elected president. I'm like, yes, it goes to the House of Representatives like it has three previous times. This is not never happened before. I'm sure you understand that, right, Van Jones? But he didn't No. Uh, And I don't think most of most of the country understands that. So just break it down. If there's a 269-269 tie or somebody does not get 279 or 270 Electoral College votes, then it goes to the House of Representatives where each state has one vote. Period. I don't care. You can have 29 29 representatives in Congress like New York. The
1: fact is that people need to understand that it doesn't mean that Nancy Pelosi gets her way because right now the Democrats uh, have a majority in the House that's irrelevant. It goes by the state delegations.
0: Correct. And – I have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe anybody who's in the election who got electoral college votes means if a third-party candidate would get a state, they would be eligible to be elected by the House of Representatives. Now, that's unlikely. because I don't think a third-party candidate in the 20th or 21st century has gotten delegates. Teddy Roosevelt might have as a bull moose party. But that's a new, that's unlikely. So it's probably going to come down to Biden or uh, Trump. Uh, the other
1: interesting part about the state legislatures, yes, because right now I believe the Republicans uh, have a twenty six to twenty four advantage. Yes, but the relevant timing is which legislative bodies are seated after the election. So in other words, if for instance the Democrats would manage to flip that uh in some way in this election tomorrow, then it's it's not how the toll the tally is right now, it's how it looks after the election, between November third and inauguration, which is when it matters. So that's also potentially in flux.
0: Yes. Yes. I, it has happened. Most recent time was 1876. That was the last time that actually happened uh, i think the likelihood of getting a 269 to 269 tie is quite nearly impossible not, not totally impossible nearly impossible uh i don't know how otherwise there wouldn't be a 270 majority for one of the two candidates unless we have another 2000 issue where one state is contested and they're going through recount after recount after recount and i i mark my words I believe the Democrats learned from two thousand. They're they're going to make sure, and especially if it's Pennsylvania, it, it's not Florida in two thousand. This is a Democratic stronghold with a Democratic governor, Democratic AG, and the population centers are heavily Democratic. So I could certainly see that going towards um, Biden if that were the case. You think you agree or disagree on that? Which going towards Biden? Well, if it comes down to Pennsylvania, it comes down to major recounts. I can see some. Oh,
1: Pennsylvania is going to be a nightmare, and and I think there is a very good chance that Pennsylvania may be the state that actually decides the election. Um, And yeah, we're sitting here with a state supreme court packed with now majority Democrats who issued that completely. We referenced this, I think, last week that outrageous decision that allows. uh, And the reason it's outrageous again is not because of the result. The reason it's outrageous is because they had absolutely no legal basis to say that the current statute, which governs how the elections should be conducted and how those votes are to be counted, they admitted validly passed constitutional. They just decided to rewrite it because they're a super legislature. And not only did they rewrite it, but they also said, not only do you have three additional days, uh, we will not permit signature matching Okay. So in other words, you could get a ballot in from Philly that has like an X on it and you try to compare it to the signature on record, which looks like it's in some kind of calligraphy. And guess what? You're not allowed to notice that those two things don't match at all. Doesn't matter. And the other thing they ruled is the presumption is if you can't tell when it's postmarked, you have to assume it was validly uh, put into play before the election deadline. Now, They might as well have just engraved invitation to fraud on their decision. And you know what? I mean, I think it's not cynical. That's exactly what they were basically winking at, which is, hey, you got three days to keep counting and you can pretty much submit crayon on a napkin and we're going to bend over backwards to make sure that that gets counted. So I think the chances of there being days of counting and litigation potentially in Pennsylvania, perhaps weeks, is better than fifty percent.
0: I I, th- I predict you're going to see a Florida circa 2000 debacle in Pennsylvania. I yes. could be it could be another state, but I and you to-
1: can also thank John Roberts for that because yeah. yet again, Mister Protect the reputation of the court, whatever he's doing, decided that he was not going to weigh in, and so that's why the court with uh, RGB seats still being open. Uh, deadlocked four to four because the three other conservative justices would have said, we want to take a look at this. And Roberts joined, uh, excuse me, the four other, and Roberts joined the the three so-called liberal justices in preventing that from happening. And if he really is interested in protecting the reputation of the court or whatever his motivations are, This is actually the worst way to go about it, because now he's almost guaranteeing that the court is going to be thrust into that role later on, as you alluded to, if we get Florida Part Deux in Pennsylvania. And and by refusing to examine that issue, he has now made the chances of that happening far more likely than not.
0: Well, you have to ask yourself, that the court has ruled differently on certain ones, and And I went back and looked at them, and it's the legislature in each state sets the rules as to when voting can begin and when it has to be completed by. In certain states, they ruled that, yes, it had to be done by Election Day. But in North Carolina, they ruled that it couldn't be done by Election Day, and that was done by a panel, a non-elect. Now, I think they're probably saying, well, this is an elected group, the state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. But it wasn't the legislature. It was the state Supreme Court who made up a rule that wasn't codified into law. They just made it up. So in my opinion, that's the same thing as what North Carolina was doing, which was a a committee just made up the rule, unelected committee. This is the same issue. And I, I think the court, if Roberts is really trying to protect the integrity of the court. There has to be some consistency, and there is no consistency. Well, again, but it's a completely illegitimate consideration. It
1: it doesn't matter about protecting whatever that even means, okay? Just examine the statute, the issue before the court. And again, I want to emphasize, let's flip it around and assume that Pennsylvania had a statute in place that said on presidential elections, you have three days to essentially assume that what the the current Supreme Court decided was already in place and assume then that the, that went up and the Supreme Court Roberts joins the conservatives and says, nope, you know what? It seems to us that that's too much. It's just as invalid. This for me is not about results at all. The only question that the court should be answering is what was the justification for the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overriding the, the will of the legislature on the eve of of an election. And the answer is there is none except for a raw power grab because they didn't like the fact we just feel in our wisdom that they need more time. You know what? It's not your call.
0: You don't get to decide that. Well, I think that's the, I think if you're looking at this objectively, regardless of which side you're on, the law doesn't seem to be applied equally. And that gives people reason to doubt the integrity of what you're looking at. And I think this is, This is a perfect example of that. And I wanted to pull this up if I can find it here. Yes, here it is. Um, The federal judge struck down the, let's call it, ballot harvesting in Texas. Let's call it what it is. Uh, The 127,000 drive-through votes in Texas. Now, people say, oh, the GOP is trying to disavow valid votes. And I read the opinion, and the opinion didn't say they were valid votes. The judge just said, "I'm not willing to strike down 127 ballots that have been cast." Okay, that's not the same as th- saying what they did was fine. Basically, they set up 18 locations where people could drop off their votes, but they didn't. Ha- the, the Harris County did not have the authority to set up those drop-off boxes. They just did it in a heavily Democratic county. So the judge didn't say you you were okay to do what you did, but it's too late now. And I think that's what the Democrats are hoping for. We're going to run out the clock. Joe Biden's corrupt and crazy. Mala Harris is effectively a communist, if if in name only right now. Uh, we're just going to let this go because we don't want to interfere. It's like a ref at the end of a football game or a basketball game who just kind of swallows the, the uh, whistle so that they don't actually impact the game. Even though the rules have been broken, they still don't call them broken. They just say, "Yeah, well, just guess what? guess what? Have some courage. Yeah, have exactly. some courage and do your job. That's that's my take. If you you can't do your job, why are you there? You know, if it if the rules say you can't set up a private drop off places, then you can't set up drop off places. I'm sorry, your vote doesn't count. If I shove it in the trash and somebody said, "Well, I pulled it out, so it must be good," no, I shoved it in the trash. That's yeah. effectively. what you And
1: you're- again, your remedy your remedy if you really don't like the fact that you can't have drive in ballots is change the law. Yeah. The time to change the law is not five days or two weeks before a presidential election, and certainly the time to change the law is not doing that by a judicial mechanism as opposed to a legislative one, right. and th- and that's what the Democrats are constantly about, which is listen, we don't like this law, this right. law prevents us from getting what we want. Can you please, right side of history jurist, <laughs> give us what we desire? Because again, what you hear is you know, voting a fundamental right. Hey. Um, nobody's disputing that. It's totally irrelevant. Nobody, you're disenfranchising. No, actually disenfranchisement would mean that you're doing something illegal to prevent people from exercising their right to vote. This is the opposite. You're inventing ways to allow them to vote that are prevented, that have been prohibited under state law.
0: That's just as bad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I. I think we, <clears throat> short of, covid hitting i don't see how any of the democratic candidates stood a chance and i'm not I'm not this conspiracy guy saying that they the democrats invented covid and caused it i think it was an opportunity that they have taken full advantage of joe biden not having to campaign the, the economy tanking and somehow it's donald trump's fault that a pandemic hit the the world and joe biden's solution is i'll do exactly what trump is doing Except I'll do it or or right. something. And the reality I'll is I'll do it better,
1: even I'll though I better. can't remember what town I'm in right now.
0: Well, it's not even that, it's it's a global pandemic. If your if your calculus is I'm gonna do it better, literally nobody in the world in leadership has done it well then. But Joe Biden is yes. gonna do it well. That's the that's what I'm supposed to get from that. That this man who doesn't know where he's at doesn't know what he's running for, doesn't know who he's running with, doesn't know who he's running against, is somehow smart enough to be able to figure out how to fix the pandemic that literally no other leader on the face of this planet has been able to figure out. But he's going to do it. Sure he is. Wow, sure. That makes sense. I mean, that that calculus is, is flawed at best. Uh, I, I get tired of hearing how Trump killed these people.
1: Because again, all of them. All 200, because that's all you hear. We're now up to 230,000. And again, it's tragic. It's uh, it is. There's a lot of people have died. There's a lot of people that are suffering from this. But this, this completely absurd reductionist argument that says Donald Trump is president. This many people have died. It's all his fault. Meanwhile, the very same people who make this argument based on nothing other than these sort of vague allegations that Donald Trump has tweeted that he doesn't like masks. In other words, they can't point to anything to make the case, connect those dots. They're also holding up someone like Andrew Cuomo, who if you really want to talk about people who have directly caused deaths by horrendously irresponsible policies, he would be number one on the list because this is the guy that intentionally through his Department of Health put infected people forced them into nursing homes with the most vulnerable people in our population and thousands died who would have thunk it and yet repeatedly including people like our friend are holding up Andrew Cuomo as some paragon and in fact if you compare New York's any statistics about mortality fatality is related to covid New York ranks among the worst places in the entire world comparing it to countries. Yep. But somehow, it's Donald Trump's fault, and Andrew Cuomo is Solomon. It's it's just amazing.
0: But I'm glad you brought that up. So the United States leads the world in COVID-19 deaths. That's the lie that is put out by every Democrat and every believer of that, including our friend. Uh, we rank ninth in a per capita. It's not right. 120th, but it's ninth in per capita. And this is great. If you the United States doesn't have the highest number of deaths per capita in the world, but New York does per million patients or per million people. New York ranks number one. yeah,, well, and you're right, and you know what?
1: I'm willing, look, I'm also willing as someone who tries to be intellectually honest, to say, well, you know what? New York also has some very unique challenges. It is a massive place, dense population, travel hub, all of that stuff. But again, I'm more than happy to have that conversation about mitigating factors, but if we're just going to make these sort of this kind of demagoguery about how Donald Trump is the worst and he's responsible for everyone who's dead, and meanwhile, these same hypocritical people are holding up, in fact, not only Cuomo, Whitmer, all of the blue state governors, and if you look at them consistently, almost all of them have had terrible outcomes with COVID, despite the fact, for instance that you know, the Governor of Florida wants people to die from his throne of skulls. And yet, if you look at the results from the governors that have kept things open and have not completely bowed down to the lockdown, we believe in science when it's convenient cult, if you look at the actual raw numbers, many of the red state governors who have been ridiculed and demonized in the media have actually had better results. But that also kind of just goes right down the memory hole. We're not to talk about that.
0: Well, everything about covid everything about response to covid Uh, we talked about this before i don't know that well it was two weeks to flatten the curve that was what we were told right or wrong that's what we were told in mid-march two weeks to flatten the curve and there are still places in this country where you still can't do anything california being one of them uh what happened the two weeks to flatten the curve that either that was a lie or it wasn't really going to flatten the curve and you had other rationale or maybe you saw how good it was to keep everybody locked down. And
1: Yes, that had some appeal.
0: So all there's a list here on PJ media, about 20 things that were lies about COVID-19 and we could list them. But the reality is everything that you hear Biden say, I warned him early. No, you didn't. You, no.
1: Well, we said one of the, one of the lies, the many lies of the debate is that he said, I never called Donald Trump a xenophobe for shutting down travel to ch- from China. And actually he absolutely did say that. And Biden didn't get on board if Biden had been president, right? <laughs> the man that would have magically prevented COVID by virtue of his, I don't know, giant dementia riddled brain. If he had been president, one of his first orders would have been do not prevent flights from China coming to the United States. And I think the time frame was Trump did that somewhere around what, late March? I don't have the dates in front of me.
0: He did it the day after uh, it was declared a pandemic. So the 12th of March, he declared it.
1: Okay. So – Trump did that in March 12th or middle of March. Joe Biden did not flip to the position that, yeah, you know what, it might have been a good idea to prevent all the people that might be coming from the most infected area here until early May. So we're to believe that it's all Donald Trump's fault. And yet on that simple issue of should we allow potentially infected people into the country from the epicenter of this, Joe Biden would have taken another month and a half as President to come around To that perspective How many flights would have arrived In New York and San Francisco And Chicago and wherever Else because it would be too xenophobic You see
0: to keep Them from coming Well, that So Biden had campaign rallies On the Mar- March 2nd, 3rd, 7th 9th and 10th I remember the 11th was when it was declared a pandemic 12th was when Trump um, Declared it nationally he had, if, if this was, what was he doing? You know, he claims in January, he wrote an op-ed saying we we need to take this seriously yet. He continued to have live events, right? Right.
1: Um, Well, seriously to him means a very different thing than what it would mean to a rational person. And so the two things that stick out in my mind about all of this, because one of the other things that people like our friend like to say is that, you know, Donald Trump, by virtue of his cavalier attitude, and look, Trump has not been perfect about this, okay? But he's the one that has caused all of his lemmings to not take it seriously. His his malign leadership, his irresponsibility, right? They're looking to him and they see he doesn't care, and so they're running around thinking it's not a big deal. Now, here's my response to that argument. What about the BLM 10,000 people strong, full-on in the streets, shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, screaming, rioting, whatever, blue state governors in tow, in out there among them, and we didn't hear a single thing. In fact, no, we did hear something. You know what we heard? We heard from people like our friend and people who were supposedly— into science, including epidemiologists, that was perfectly okay because somehow the virus can distinguish between those wicked mouth-breathing anti-lockdown protesters and their MAGA hats and their jacked up pickups, but it really won't infect All of those 10,000 people who are out in the street virtue signaling and peacefully looting and all that other nonsense. So if you want to know why people decided that this has no credibility if they did and are not really keen on listening to Big Brother when they say you can't attend your own family's funeral and you can't go to a park and you can't open your synagogue and your restaurant can't be open unless you serve popcorn because that's some kind of magical elixir that prevents COVID, all that nonsense – It's because they saw that the people in charge treated this as an entirely political issue. They selectively enforced it. And so if you want to make the argument that people were looking at those in power and deciding it didn't matter, that's the reason. Not because Donald Trump said, I'm not so much into masks. And the other thing that they continually say, which is a lie, is he didn't listen to the experts. Someone please point me to a single fact, a single piece of evidence where Donald Trump told Fauci or Burks or any of these other people, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go my own way. He never did it a single time.
0: Uh, no, no. Uh, do you want to get into our friend's post about why he was, for the first time since I've known him, intellectually honest with who he was voting for?
1: Um I don't know if we we don't need to delve into it completely but I do think it might be a good springboard for discussing since this is the pre-election day sure. before election show and, and look we've made this case repeatedly uh but you know it might be good to revisit why don't you pull that up and and kind of pick some of the things that he claims justifies his vote for Mr. Biden and sure. uh the now the, I, I the I individual wanna, from California
0: yeah <laughs> I want to be clear on this this man was never gonna vote for Trump. He didn't vote for Trump in 2016. I'm quite certain he hasn't voted for a Republican in his lifetime. Just say sure.
1: Well, no, here's the other thing. The reason this really isn't about him. This is a representative. Look, he's a very smart guy. Um, and so this I think is a is a very good representation of the case, particularly from a Christian. He's an evangelical Christian, and he he has attacked Trump from that perspective, claiming that anyone who is an evangelical, there's no possible way that you could vote for him. And if you do, you're a bad Christian, you're ruining your witness, your dark side is showing, etc., etc., all these ad hominems. But he lays out a similar case of anyone that I've read. I mean, he goes down chapter and verse of the things that you hear from people who say you just can't vote for Donald Trump. So I think it's a good exercise to, to listen and then see if we believe that what he's saying is either accurate or credible.
0: So he talks about the children being separated from their families at the border.
1: Okay. okay and we- so that's, okay, so very quickly, that's a valid point. And I think it's even more valid to say that in certain respects, Donald Donald Trump Let's put it this way. Both the preceding administration and the Trump administration separated kids at the border. The the Obama administration had children in quote-unquote cages. Part of that, and we've talked about this, and I don't want to get into it, but there is a federal law that when people are seeking asylum, that process takes longer. It prevents them from being housed with kids for an extended period of time, and so there has to be mandatory separation. But if you want to argue that Donald Trump weaponized that politically by essentially being uh, zero tolerance for that, uh, I'm okay with that. And he shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have done it. And I think everyone can agree that to the extent possible, we should not be separating children from their parents. It also begs the question of were many of these people parents, I'm sure a lot of them were, but a lot of them weren't, even though most people on the left have no idea what a coyote is. Um, There are people that are smuggling kids into the country. They're smuggling drugs into the country and they're traveling with kids because that's an effective way to get across the border. Nevertheless, fair enough to our friend. If he wants to make that distinction and say that's immoral. Okay. But what are you comparing that to when you're assessing morality? And we've talked about this because what he doesn't do in that entire piece It is almost completely devoid of any analysis of Joe Biden's character or his policies.
0: Almost nothing. So just to point that out, the separation of the children from their parents, that's a federal law. You don't like it, change the federal law. Children cannot be housed in the cages. The parents stay here. The, The children have to be taken away and put into a foster system effectively. So that's why they're separated from their parents. It's because the adults can be kept there. The children cannot be. That's federal law. You don't like it. Change the federal law. I agree. It shouldn't happen. But that is the law. He's upholding the law. Well, I think, though, the the point, the the more nuanced point that some will
1: make is that, well, Trump intentionally enforced the law in a way that was maximalist, that would almost guarantee child separations. And again, if you're doing something like that, For purely political ends, that is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. And I'm not necessarily convinced that was going on, but let's just accept that claim at face value. If it was going on, that was wrong. You should never, whether regardless of whether or not the law is in place, if you're using it as sort of a lever to promote your policy agenda and making kids and parents pawns, that's no good. And I, I, so anyone who's a Christian and anyone who's someone that cares about that kind of stuff should say, no, no, that's that's not right. That shouldn't be our policy. But again, this is all in a vacuum because what people on the left refuse to do is say, and wait against that immorality. Let's examine Joe Biden. But they never talk about Joe Biden. We're just supposed to accept the fact that he's good old moderate, high integrity Joe, when in fact, he's, he's nothing of the sort.
0: Yeah. We, so – yeah, goes on to say evangelicals, evangelicals concerned about life. The Columbia University studies said Trump's administration is responsible for 210 COVID 19 deaths. That's the mask wearing, shutting it down, right? All the all the stuff that we just debunked. The reality is pure demagoguery, totally. So if Joe had been president or Hillary, we wouldn't have had those 210 deaths, 210 thousand deaths. Well, that's not reality because we just said. The entire leadership of the world has failed at stopping the the virus. And
1: by the way, you know what's even more absurd? This is supposedly a study. So this is, I would love, I'm not even going to bother, but I would love to read how they explain their truth claim, their alternative hypothesis, right? Because their their claim has to be, here's all the things that uh, we've, We have empirically verified that we can say Donald Trump caused this. And yet somehow implicit there is. And let us explain to you why Joe Biden, who is essentially, as you said, adopted all of Donald Trump's policies, the the total would have been zero or, you know what, even some lesser number. How did he even arrive at that? The idea that that's a study is completely ludicrous. It's not a study. It's a partisan rant that from Colombia a yes. member of the, you know, the usual academics who are lined up against Trump, that mm-hmm. anyone who is in, has a good faith willingness to debate this stuff would reject that out of hand as, this is just nonsense. It is partisanship gussied up as some sort of
0: science. It's ridiculous. Well, he, he cites his, uh, his nonpartisan The Atlantic, <laughs> uh, Ed Yong, who, and this is a quote, this election is about life. Trump's handling of the coronavirus is promoting a culture of illness and death. Wow. Okay. So tell me what your good buddy Joe would do differently or would have done differently. See, I, this is the part for me and you, you alluded to this in, a, in an election or any, when I have to choose a side, give me a reason to choose you. If you constantly tell me why not to choose the other person but give me no concrete reasons to choose you. I don't feel better about my choice. I just don't like that other guy. I don't like you more. And maybe I'll, I will vote for you because I dislike this other guy enough, or maybe I won't vote at all because I don't like either one of you scumbags. Maybe that's the other
1: thing that that analysis ignores. So there's a tendency of these people to, they have their, unswerving faith in quote unquote science, even though the scientists on this issue change their mind about every other week on things like masks on distancing on pretty much everything and all of the original models by the scientists, uh, which projected by the way, 2 million deaths. And yeah. remember, because this is also something that they like to say is, well, the reason there weren't 2 million deaths is because we implemented all of these very stringent policies. No, no, Those models were explicitly predicated on the assumption that the lockdowns were going to occur. So all the people that are now claiming that Donald Trump is responsible for killing 200,000 people, what they need to explain is, well, wait a minute. You told us and you relied upon all these scientists who said we were guaranteed to have 2 million die. Seems like Donald Trump must have saved 1.8 million people. What a tremendous example of great lead. No, 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 no. That immediately gets jettisoned because we're on to our next moving of the goalposts. But the other point is they also never grapple with the fact that the lockdowns themselves kill people. They don't want to even balance those scales. Well, what's going on when people can't have elective surgeries, when people are at home in places with abusive environments, when suicides go up because people have lost their homes and their businesses? That's not even part of their quote unquote life calculation. They don't even consider that. It's just, why wouldn't you blindly agree with the good governor that wants the best for all the children? No, no. There are some very significant trade-offs here and they're unwilling to have that discussion at all.
0: He goes on to talk about uh, systemic racism. He said uh, black women, black men and women are dying in America and their fear for their life. Donald Trump doesn't believe in systemic racism, doesn't want to address it. Uh, He doesn't even have the decency to condemn white supremacy at a nationally televised debate. That's a lie. That's that is a lie. This man, he's he's repeatedly said that he
1: keeps saying this. Um, Oh, wait, I also want to back up. So, again, this sort of throwaway line. What does it say? Um, Black, what? Black women women are dying in America. Okay, so full stop. This is like climate change. The climate is changing in America, right? (laughs) So yes, unfortunately, all manner of people are dying in America every day for a whole variety of reasons. Black people, white people, Asians, Samoans, uh, Asians, whatever you want to... What could that statement possibly mean? What he's implying, of course, is that... Systemic racism is leading to police killing yep. African-Americans. That is also a lie in the sense that if you, what he means it, what as he means it, which is the way BLM means it, is that this is some sort of pervasive epidemic. And we've talked about that at length, completely false. Yep. So he's parroting that narrative again, that is
0: empirically not true. He goes on to say, or even Yelko Converse, I'm sorry, or evangelical conversations will not undo the damage done by centuries of racial oppression, especially if such converts are taught that systemic racism is a satanic lie that cultural Marxists are propagating on the nation. There's your BLM reference. Uh, Well, and
1: I don't know about a satanic lie, but I will say that, and we've discussed this at length, um, it, it is mostly false. And what this evangelical does not grapple with is what about the tenets of this Marxist, and it is Marxist, he scoffs at that idea. He apparently doesn't even know from whence this theory comes, and he should, because he's a really smart guy. But nevertheless, he's unwilling to even address the fact that, huh, could a Marxist framework somehow be antithetical to a Christian's understanding of the world? That that doesn't even that doesn't even get discussed.
0: why should it? Uh, Trump wants to return Obamacare and place replace it with his own healthcare plan, but he says we've never seen that plan. I would agree. We've not seen that plan. I don't know what it looks like, but we've not overturned it. Right. That's fair. He says um, overturning Obamacare will undermine the health care of millions of people. And it's not a pro life position. Joe Biden is a pro life candidate here. Okay.
1: Complete question begging. No facts, no support. I would make the argument that Obamacare has been a disastrous law. It alone undermined the health care of six million Americans when they unlike what Obama promised, lost their doctors, lost their plans. Now, that's a very extended policy argument, but know what he does. He just throws out these conclusory statements without any support and just says, well, that's clear. Obamacare is going to save lives. If you get rid of it, people are going to die. Well, let's see your evidence for that.
0: Can't show it. Uh, Donald Trump's feeling climate change will eventually lead to more poverty, more death, and a planet that may be uninhabitable sooner than we think.
1: Wow, it sounds like Greta Thunberg
0: I think. Well, he Soon, thinks, by
1: the way, what what is sooner than we think? So it's an uninhabitable yep. planet. Yep. Is that um. That sounds like the late great planet Earth, right? Uh, the Malthusians have been arguing this since what the 1940s. So again, right. evidence free, fact free, just pure. The world's going to end. The environment's going to go into. You know, the environment will be destroyed. And by the way, if we implement the Green New Deal, that'll that'll solve everything.
0: I love these two lines This is a life issue It may not affect us right now But people will die in the future If we don't care for the creation That God has entrusted us Narcissists are selfish They only care about themselves In relation to the moment In which they live Ah yes And Biden's plan For environmental justice And his pledge to rejoin The Paris Agreement Will ultimately result In saved lives Again Pure Bald Conclusions
1: straight from the DNC platform with no factual support whatsoever. And see, the other thing that's fascinating, and he's not the only guy that does this, is the is the assumption here, again, that the people that disagree with people like our friend on policy, they, they just want people to die, right? They're selfish narcissists. You know what? I actually want to take my kids to a pond that has sludge and acid rain because that's really what we want no it's just that there are diff- there are disagreements over policy and i would argue that the Green New Deal is going to cost lives because it's economically destructive and it's going to put third world countries, if that would be implemented, into abject poverty once again. And it's going to cause all manner of secondary effects that are destructive, not only to quality of life, but they're also counterproductive to environmentalism itself. One example of this, right? The California forest fires, just one of them, Why is California burning? Everyone says, well, because it's global warming. No, it's because the Greens have prevented sensible deforestation to prevent these huge millions of acres of burning because we're not allowed to cut down the trees, right? All of these are very complicated policy questions, and people of good faith can disagree over them. But our friend is not interested in having any sort of nuanced, complex uh. Layered conversation about trade offs. It's simply demonize Trump and those who agree with him.
0: So let's talk about the elephant in the room abortion. Roe versus Wade will not end abortion in America. We've talked about that. Yes. Straw man. Point.
1: Absolute yeah. straw man. No one says that it will. Well, maybe there's some people that say that it will, but most sensible people who are concerned and appalled by abortion in America—that is not the thing that drives them—is the idea that Roe v. Wade is going to solve everything.
0: He says somebody recently told him that Roe versus Wade being overturned is taking the long view. He says I understand that argument, but why do we not take the long view on climate change? He goes back to climate change. Right. Okay.
1: Well, but actually we do take the long view. It's just that our long view is completely different from theirs in right. terms of the policy outcomes.
0: So he, he says Trump plays lip service to abortion. He only was anti-abortion in 2016 when he needed the GOP to get him the nomination and the evangelical vote. Uh, he said, if Christians really want to reduce the number of abortions, they will elect a president who wants to fund health care for women deal with the systemic racism that keeps many black women in poverty, raise the minimum wage, and address the income gap between white people and people of color. The abortion rate has been dropping consistently since the 1990s. No thanks to the Democratic Party. he says Christians and pro-life voters should urge Joe Biden, if elected, to talk more about how he plans to continue this reduction of abortion. Okay, now you want to talk about sophistry. I'm sorry. So let
1: me get this straight. Christians should urge the guy who is on board with unrestricted abortion on demand up to the moment of crowning and in fact beyond. And they should urge him to talk about how he intends to continue limiting abortions. Also, the man who flipped on 40 years of support for the Hyde Amendment. Remember, people, this guy now says your tax dollars are going to be used to fund abortions. So he will not lift a finger to prevent abortions. And in fact, that policy, okay, when he's saying that he doesn't support the Hyde amendment, that's not pro choice. That's actively pro abortion. Yes. Because he is insisting along with his party that you, You individual Christian, you individual citizen have no choice, no matter what your faith and the dictates of your conscience, you will be made to participate in that atrocity. And our friend has the audacity to say what Christians need to do is convince him to explain how he's going to limit. No, you know what? He's already explained how he doesn't want to limit them and he wants to increase them and he wants to force you to pay for them. And yet somehow that's not a moral outrage to him. It's all this very sort of esoteric tactical thinking about Roe v. Wade. What happened to the kids in cages outrage when we apply it to this situation where what's the estimate now, Chad? We're at 60 million babies aborted since Roe v. Wade. Planned Parenthood in an average year murders 300,000, even though, of course, it's not an abortion mill. No, no, no. They provide many other services. No, that's the reason it exists. So I would say to our friend and anyone else who wants to say that they're pro-life, that position is completely untenable. And if you're not willing to address the moral atrocity that is ongoing about that issue, then- I really don't want to listen to you, okay? Because we can have a conversation about afterlife and what programs, but they're not even willing to look at look the evil in its face and say what he should be saying is, I think Trump is so bad. This would be an intellectually honest argument. Trump, to me is so bad that I recognize that the evil that the Democratic Party wants to perpetrate doesn't rise to that level. Now, I might disagree with him, but I would at least give him credit for being intellectually honest about his position without some nonsense about being pro-life.
0: Here's his uh, gist of this. I hope he changes his mind about the Hyde Amendment and goes back to his original position. That would be Biden, who in 1973 was opposed to the Roe v. Wade decision. But if you care about the reduction of abortions, Biden is still the best candidate. That is some logic that I can't quite fathom. Well, and again,
1: this so this is this is somebody who it's again, this is he's representative. But this whole thing about I hope, well, wait a minute. Were you writing I hope Donald Trump changes his position about immigration at the border. No, it's daily moral outrage and denunciation. Why are we not willing to call a spade a spade and say Joe Biden is actively supporting evil? Why can't we say that about Joe Biden instead of this mealy mouthed, well, I sure hope that Joe changes his view. Again, the the level of moral indignation on the one hand is non-existent, for something that I would characterize as far more prevalent and evil. And yet, on the other hand, it's ratcheted to the ceiling, right? In terms of how heinous and awful all of these things that Donald Trump does. It, it's it's so unbalanced. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to me.
0: So he goes on to say there was an article in the National Review, which talks about, from a Christian perspective, not voting for a candidate whose party supports abortion. He said, There's no realistic or pragmatic solution in that article. And he said, they want you to vote with your conscience. And he said, it is an argument rooted in moral purity. (laughs) Wait, that's,
1: that's the guy that has spent the last four years railing about the fact that Donald Trump's character renders him an illegitimate president, a tyrant, a monster. What sort of argument is he making? So, so again, we're now, we're now fleeing from the moral realm because I guess his argument is you're never going to get rid of abortion. You know what? I probably agree with that. I certainly do, but that's never been the litmus test for any of the other analysis of Donald Trump. So all of a sudden we're jettisoning the moral, the conscious argument, again, talking about, you know, it's just not practical. Um, Roe v. Wade is not the right approach. What happened? What happened to the moral outrage? It's just all dried up because we don't want to discuss that issue. And we certainly don't want to look too closely about that party's position on those things.
0: So we need to create a world in which abortion is not the default option for an unwanted pregnancy.
1: And we're going to create that world by electing a party that wants to maximize abortions up to the time of birth for no reason whatsoever, and who will not even extend protections to babies born alive after a botched abortion. That's the best way to ensure that we're going to limit abortions. Again, pure
0: sophistry. We should support candidates who are dealing with the social, cultural, and economic issues that lead women and families to consider abortions. Ironically, Joe Biden, a representative of a pro-choice party, is that candidate Donald Trump, who has the support of the Christian right, is not. Wow. Sure. Your concerns about the uh, religious liberty being taken away, he said, well, the Supreme Court's held up pretty good over the years, and they've really fallen on that side. Right.
1: And so that's another argument where he completely deflects from, but what actually is the position of the party that you support towards religious liberty? Well, it, there is great animus towards religious liberty. They would do away with it if they could, or at least constrain it. If they could, they make no bones about that. Look at the Obama administration attacking the little sisters of the poor, all of these mandates. So, and again, so the argument, it, it doesn't directly address the fact because I don't think he wants to. He doesn't want to deal with, this is what you're actually voting for. And so the argument becomes, well, you know what? The Supreme Court's been pretty good in reining in their excesses. Okay, well, that doesn't seem to be a very compelling argument. You are actively, again, supporting, and you want to tell other Christians to support, a party that in general, in its orientation, is hostile to the Christian faith and wants to limit its exercise. If you want to support that and justify it, it's not an answer to say, but you know what? So far, the Supreme Court's been doing a pretty good job of keeping all the people that I vote for from getting their way. That doesn't seem very convincing to me.
0: No. I I want to slide over to John Piper. We talked about it briefly last week, and he gave his interpretation. Uh, I want to reference an article by Kylie Zempel in The Federalist uh, from a couple days ago. And she takes apart Piper's argument. And I, I think this is important to understand. Uh, she said Piper's article explicitly talked, does not, sorry, Piper's article is not explicitly about Trump and Joe Biden, although everybody knew that. It clearly right. is. Yeah. Uh, she said his musings are far from a neglected perspective. They fill every column of never Trump or David French and literally the smooth rhetoric of Democratic Mayor Buttigieg. And the emeritus response, especially coming from such an influential intellectual figure. Uh, He says. He's baffled that Christians don't take Trump's character seriously. Many Christians, however, refuse to equate those two unequal realms. Character should be weighed against character and policy against policy. Piper's value judgment comes at the disposal of Trump's policy victories, many of which are advantageous to those pursuing godliness and the oversight of Biden's demonstrably depraved character perhaps Piper compares Trump's character with Biden's policies because his analysis is based on typical media characterizations rather than the men's actual merits in Piper's article Trump's character is a caricature and Biden's character isn't covered at all on par with the mainstream portrayal although Piper insists it's okay to disagree with him and concludes he will vote for neither candidate his entire piece maintains the same flavor condemnation for Trump and implicit commendation for Biden
1: well, I don't know if it's implicit commendation, and we've talked about the fact that um, I have tremendous respect for for John Piper, and the man is a tremendous theologian. Um, he's written many, many things that have been great benefit to me just in, in terms of his perspective on the faith, on Christian life, uh, on prayer. Uh, so I respectfully disagree with him, and we talked about this in the sense that, again, he is, he's creating a false dichotomy here. Where on the one hand, he presents Donald Trump as a man of tremendously flawed character. And that's fine. We've mm-hmm. talked about the fact that Donald Trump is a man of flawed character. So I don't, I don't take any issue with someone as a Christian who says, I can't vote for that guy. Okay. Now I might take issue with the the level to which they claim his character is flawed meaning you know this this sort of over the top rhetoric about him being a tyrant and, and because i think as as Wayne Grudem has argued it's an excessively cartoonish portrayal but nevertheless let's accept that what he completely omits to discuss and i guess you're right it in some ways it is an implicit endorsement is well what about joe biden's character and we're all supposed to just sit back and accept the fact that good man Good man, no character issues. No, he's not. He's not a good man. Even the most recent revelations about his family's pay for play influence peddling, which of course have been, the media is trying to suppress them at every turn. Yep. Some of the statements this guy has made in his past, his issues with women, okay, that's another thing. What's one of the main attacks on Donald Trump is his alleged misogyny. He's on what, his third marriage. All of that stuff is fair enough. It gets completely whitewashed that Joe Biden has been a creepy sort of predator for most of his political career. There have been recent credible, and again, I hate that term when it's applied wrongly, credible meaning the person who made these allegations worked directly with Joe Biden and told people about what he allegedly did to her, Tara Reid, at the same time. That's what I mean when I say credible. And yet that was completely wiped off the slate. So we apparently are not allowed to talk about any of this about Joe Biden, about his family's graft, about what clearly seems to be a lengthy period of time of influence peddling. We don't even know the details about that. He's a guy who's made incredibly nasty statements about his opponents, including claiming that Republicans are going to put African-Americans back in chains. Okay. This sort of demagoguery comes naturally to this guy. And yet we're just supposed to accept the fact that no, no, it's good old Joe against wicked evil Trump. I would argue that Joe Biden in many ways is just as unethical, just as corrupt. And so the scales for me do not tilt very much in favor of Joe Biden on the character score whatsoever.
0: I I don't think they tilt. I think they're equally flawed human beings. I I don't think one is better than the other. If we're looking at a character comparison, I think both are bad character wise. I think politicians as a general rule tend to go that direction, but these are two that have some major character flaws. So I guess in, in response to our friend, if I think both of them are flawed human beings with flawed takes on life, Why would I vote for the one who wants to impact me economically, who has no clue what he's doing uh, from a governing standpoint and really doesn't have a clue from an international perspective either? Why would I choose that?
1: But remember, and let's, uh, that's true. But the other thing I would want to discuss is from a purely uh, Christian perspective. So Piper isolates the abortion issue and he points to that as the main objection to the democratic party. Well, but there's, there's a lot more there. Okay. For instance, the entire LGBTQ, whatever the other letters are agenda, and particularly the trans agenda, which openly denies the reality of biological sex. Okay. If we've seen this, we've talked about this, even somebody like JK Rowling is now, who is a progressive and good, was a progressive in good standing If you even dare to challenge this new, and let's call it what it is, a religion that says, no, 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 there really is no such thing as men and women. There's, you know, there's 70 different genders. To someone who's a Christian, that goes directly to the nature of God's created order, okay? This assumption that, guess what? If you take the Bible seriously, and I know John Piper does, God created man and God created woman. That then leads to a whole host of other evils, including the abuse of children young as young as five and six years old, who are now being encouraged to mutilate their bodies, to transition to all manner of hormone therapies. And this is the worldview of the Democratic Party. And it is a view that is actively promoted in all areas of life, this sort of, There is not only is there no truth, there's no there's no such thing as men and women. Well, how does a Christian look at that and say, hmm, that's a policy that I can kind of accept going forward? That's impossible not to challenge that and say, your worldview is antithetical. To the created order, the way that God has made the universe, has made women and made men to interrelate with each other, that's a direct challenge to that. So just limiting this to abortion as like the, the halo issue, and we could go down the line. What about all of the rioting and the violence and the anarchy? The Democratic Party, if not actively encouraging that, is at a minimum looking away They don't have a problem with it because these people are supposedly justified in burning down their neighborhoods and assaulting people who disagree with them politically. Well, what is a Christian to make of that worldview? We talk about quality of life or lives mattering. Shouldn't we be concerned about all of the minorities who are in places like Portland and Seattle and Chicago and New York where they've had their businesses destroyed, burned out, attacked, assaulted? By mobs of Antifa thugs, what are we supposed to make of that? When one of the parties is clearly doing nothing mm-hmm. to prevent that from going on? As a Christian, I think that's a life
0: issue that we should be considering. Doesn't even get mentioned. No, well, it's not going to be mentioned because it doesn't doesn't go to what they want to talk about. And it, whether it's Piper or a friend, they only quote the things that support their argument, and they discard anything that does not support their argument because. As we've said many, many times in the past, Trump is Hitler. So therefore, anything you do is justified to get rid of Hitler. Period. Doesn't matter because anything you do is okay because you're getting rid of this evil. The Lincoln Project. Got to get rid of him now because he might be president forever. <laughs> Why? Because he only as as a. Uh, Ben Shapiro pointed out the only president who served more than two terms was FDR, a Democrat. They right. had the constitutional amendment to keep that from happening. So you can say all these things again without proof, without a source of anything other than I feel. Again, quoting Shapiro, your feel or facts don't care about your feelings. It Doesn't matter what you feel; it matters what it is. And I think I get tired of the constant uh, denial of reality. So that I can push my agenda, whether it's the main, I heard you heard somebody today who's a democratic strategist for social media who said, we looked around and we saw that Fox news existed and the left didn't have anything like that on their side, except for literally every other media, but they didn't have Fox news. So therefore they were, well,
1: and plus they don't have Rush Limbaugh either. So it's, it's a double whammy The the Republicans control the, the towering heights of the culture. I want to make I want to make one final point about sort of these disagreements among Bible believing Christians, and I've said this from the beginning: is that um, there is no uh, template that I believe. You know, if you're a Christian, you must check these different boxes. You must vote in this particular way. These issues are uh, they're thorny. They people of goodwill. Who have prayerfully considered these things can disagree. Um, I'm not sure in my own mind how you sort of reconcile the whole abortion thing, particularly the Democratic Party's current stance on that. But nevertheless, I would never make the claim that someone who is a Christian who votes differently from me, who has evaluated their priorities as uh, a citizen of this world, uh, that they are somehow. By virtue of doing that, a wicked person, a person who is destroying their Christian witness, a person who by merely supporting one of the two parties, political parties in this country, is displaying their, quote, dark side, unquote. And what I see far too often, and our friend engages in this every day, is that the people's position on the other side is not just that we have a disagreement and perhaps a very strenuous disagreement over how Christians should view these things, but it is an outright demeaning and condescending to fellow believers who the position basically is, if you don't agree with us, you're not just wrong. You're a bad Christian. You're somebody who is not promoting the gospel. And I think that is exactly what our friend has been doing for the last two years. I have a major problem with that. We are called to the New Testament not to defame our brothers and sisters in Christ in a public way like that. Now look, that doesn't mean that we can't speak truth, okay? We're not supposed to just sit idly by, and so I am more than content for people to point out, you know what, when Donald Trump said that, that was crude, it was wrong, that policy, that's not what I'm talking about. But when you're gratuitously in, in a condescending way, lumping anyone within the fellowship of believers together and saying, if you're not on board with my political thinking, I am essentially rendering you someone who is, I, I can look into your heart and I can conclude that there's darkness there because you don't agree with my view of this guy. That to me is beyond the pale. It's inappropriate. It is divisive in the extreme because what you're doing is you're pitting believers against each other purely based on their political choices. I will never do that. I have a lot of people who are my friends who are Christians who are going to vote differently from me, and they're great people and they're prayerful. They're strong Christians. We happen to disagree on political issues and probably strongly disagree, but I would never point to that person and say, because you chose to support Joe Biden, I can look into your heart and there is darkness there. And that is what our friend and others like him in the progressive evangelical community have been doing. I think it is wrong and I think it should be denounced.
0: I I agree with everything you just said. And I think it it makes it easier when you dehumanize the other side. And we've talked about this. One side want, disagrees on policy, the other side wants that one dead because they they hate them. And I think when you dehumanize, I don't think the vast majority of Christians are dehumanizing towards political differences, but I think there are some. And I think they the more you make that less relatable, the easier it is to condemn it even though you shouldn't and and I would agree that our friend is um, an extremely divisive uh he he's even said people find me divisive so he recognizes it somebody has told him whether it's his spouse or his children but I don't brother. think
1: I don't think he recognizes why because I, I think if you asked him, he would say it's because evangelicals support Trump and I don't. Well, maybe for some of them, that's why he's divisive. That's not the reason he's divisive to me. The reason yeah. he's divisive to me has nothing to do with his political opinions because I'm fine. Those can be all over the map. And his are, he can argue them. They're well-considered. He, I'm sure he prays over his positions. That's fine. No, you're divisive when you, again, demean other believers, call into question their faith, call them either directly or indirectly, supporters of racism, supporters of bigotry. You call them zombies. Basically, people are incapable of thinking for themselves. And why? Because they're voting for a guy that you detest. Fair enough. You detest him. There's a lot of people that detest him. There's a lot of Christians who say, Donald Trump, full stop, can't vote for him. He is an evil and wicked man good enough. I respect that position, even though I disagree with it, but I don't say that those people are somehow flawed in their faith because of their political positions. And yet that's what the drumbeat has been for years relating to this guy. And I just, I just think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. And you know what? Those wounds are going to be very difficult to heal regardless of the outcome of this election.
0: Well, I think he said that, um, if you voted for Trump, you're morally culpable in anything Trump does. Now, I haven't heard anybody else say that about any other candidate ever. If you voted for Obama, are you morally cul- culpable? Are you morally culpable because you voted for uh, Kennedy? I, I, I don't know how me voting for a candidate makes me morally culpable for their actions. That, that's insane to me.
1: Well, I mean, again, though, that argument is only a one way ratchet because someone with the position that our friend takes, if we flip that around and said, okay, so you are morally culpable for every baby that is aborted under the Biden administration, he would flatly reject that as the worst sort of sort of demonization ad hominem argument. And I would generally agree with that. It, another example, um, our friend has argued that, People in the country. There was a plot against Governor Whitmer uh, by people who now turned out to be Trump, many of them Trump haters, but nevertheless. That was, of course, blamed on Donald Trump because everything is blamed on Donald Trump and by extension, his supporters. You are the ones who have promoted this man and who has increased hatred in the country and therefore these crazy people who are criminals who did this awful thing, you bear some responsibility. And so what I would say immediately is if we're going to go down that road, that every person who supported Bernie Sanders is responsible for James Hodgkinson who attempted to murder the entire Republican Congressional Caucus at a baseball game and you must therefore be supporting that conduct as well. We could play that game all day long. Individuals are responsible for their actions. Right. Yes, if you promote somebody who has certain policies, you are at least responsible for acknowledging that that policy is something that you considered and now that it's being implemented and having deleterious effects That's something that you voted for. But the idea that you are somehow uniquely responsible for every single thing that happens, including something that is done by third parties, right? Apparently, a Trump voter is also responsible for every white supremacist in the country because Donald Trump allegedly supports white supremacists, even though that's flatly untrue. That is a fallacious and again, incredibly divisive way to approach these issues and they would never accept that argument if it was turned back on them and the things that go on relating to their side of the political aisle.
0: Okay, so let's wrap up with this. What's your prediction for tomorrow? Well, let's take it back. What's your prediction whenever we find out? So who do you think is going to win and when do you think we'll actually know who won? Officially. Um,
1: So I think Trump is going to win. And if you look again, and the polling in many ways right now is completely irrelevant. We've talked about the problems with the polling. Um, And again, I'm not one of these all polls are worthless. However, the polls have been very unreliable. They seem to be exhibiting the same methodological problems they did in 2016. But a couple of things recently in the last couple of days, if it's to be believed, uh, Trump is doing very, very well, uh, much better than people expected in the early balloting. That's a problem for Joe Biden. And that's particularly true in many of the key swing states. This election basically comes down to about seven states, Virginia, North Carolina. Well, well, Biden's going to win Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, to a lesser extent, probably Iowa. You have New Hampshire, but it's 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 basically yes, seven, there, eight, nine states. Texas could be huge. Um, I don't I don't think. I mean, obviously, if Biden wins Texas, the election's over. So I don't think Biden's winning Texas. Uh, the polls recently have been clearly shifting in Trump's direction, and right now, the Des Moines Register in Iowa, which is sort of a pretty good bellwether, suddenly has Trump up by seven. In Iowa. And if that is true, that is going to cause great wailing and gnashing of teeth in the Biden camp. And the other thing that I think is interesting is if you add on, like in Pennsylvania, some of the more recent polls now have it essentially a a statistical dead heat. I think Trump is going to do exactly what he did last time. I think he's going to win Florida. I think he's going to win North Carolina. He's going to win Ohio. And he's going to win two out of three of Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Michigan. And then I think Pennsylvania becomes um, like essentially the, the deciding state in the election, and I think that Trump is going to wind up winning Pennsylvania on election day. Now, we will see then what transpires over the next days and weeks as the insistence is that we keep counting. I do not think we are going to have a result for, I would say, two to three weeks at a minimum after this election and that's that's predicated on the idea that Trump will be ahead in the electoral college uh tomorrow at you know 11 p.m. or 12 a.m. and then we're just going to continue with the lawfare there'll be rioting there'll be all manner of attempts to make sure that that result gets reversed but i think he will be as of midnight tomorrow leading in the electoral college he will have more than 270
0: votes do you think you will have a lot more or just a little bit more.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that depends. And, you know, I don't have a map in front of me, but I think it's going to be very closely mimicking what happened last time. I, I, I basically see almost exactly the same states falling the same way. Trump won Florida. He, he won Ohio. He won Pennsylvania. And he won what? Wisconsin and Michigan. He lost Minnesota in a close race. I think exactly the same thing is going to play out, although Pennsylvania may actually be even closer than it was last time. And in a state of 6 million people, that was decided by about 45,000 votes. So Pennsylvania is going to probably be a repeat of Bush-Gore in Florida. I I think that is what it's going to come down to.
0: So I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that Trump will be our president in January. Uh, I am not optimistic that we will have any resolution to this until right before the Electoral College. I expect a lot of court challenges. I expect the Supreme Court to be part of that. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett's going to get a baptism by fire and we'll see where she shakes out. Uh, I, I do not want Pennsylvania to be in that role. I, I don't nor Do I, I don't want all the things that go with that because I think, uh, where you're at could have some repercussions, you know, from a state. Uh,
1: I mean, you know, we're not, look, I certainly wouldn't want to be in Philadelphia. Oh, and that's one final point I want to make relating to that, which is, one of the, again, just sort of the, the, as they say, of these people. So now you have the media suddenly noticing, Hey, boy, man, isn't this terrible? Look at all the, look at all the plywood that's going up in all of these cities <laughs> in anticipation. and And then the insinuation being that they must be worried about, you know, those, those raging Donald Trump tea party types. It's like, Wait a minute. What what's been going on for the last um I don't know 4 months in every major American city was that the MAGA hat crew that was torching Portland? No, no. The reason that that plywood is going up in the deep blue utopias is because they know that if Donald Trump wins, in fact, maybe even if he doesn't win, cuz guess what? There's a, a party is a good reason to loot and burn too. Regardless of the outcome, the democrat shock troops in the form of antifa and the other gathered thugs that show up for this kind of thing they're going to go on a rampage and yet the media is now literally trying to gaslight this and suggest that somehow the real fear is that when donald trump loses he's not going to leave and then he's going to urge his hitler youth to take to the streets it is absurd
0: yeah that's that's my concern that there's going to be riots everywhere, regardless. Uh, the, I don't want to give in to the... If I talked to somebody about this today. I, do you say, I'd rather just let Biden win and then there won't be all this violence? But that's no. not going to solve it. Well, first and, of all, you, that, that
1: assumes that there wouldn't be. That assumes that there wouldn't be, and I don't think that's even a valid assumption.
0: I agree, and I think that's the problem. It doesn't matter which direction it goes. Crazies are going to be crazy, and it doesn't matter that, as you said, when you win, a, when a sports team wins something, in these big cities, you have rioting, you have looting, you have. Why do we have this? I don't know. I I do not understand it. Other than it's a good excuse to go get something I want, and now here's the opportunity. I am tired. Well, of, you know why we have um, it
1: because it's been normalized by the Democratic Party. Yeah. These people have been told. By a wide variety of so-called leaders, politicians, that even if there is some sort of tut-tutting about this, that it's you know they need space to destroy, right? That's the famous formulation from Baltimore. It's in some manner justified, and in those cities, law enforcement has been explicitly told to stand down. They're not. And and by the way, what's another thing that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden's party stands for? Immediately bailing out of jail the people who have been violently burning and destroying and looting. And so you're putting these people back on the street. Why would they not continue to do that when there has been no consequences whatsoever for engaging in anarchy in many of these places for the last three or four months? Of course, that's going to continue.
0: So I always say this, um, I, I, I think we're gonna see a world of hurt, and I think this there's the reconciliation that we're told will happen if Biden is elected ain't gonna happen. I don't care what oh no what people want to give themselves. There is no reconciliation because I think there's been too much anger spewed.
1: Well, uh, wait a minute. First of all, that assumes that each side is gonna to want to reconcile. Now, everyone's responsible for their own behavior, but Chad is there any indication that the left in this country, if they are ascendant politically, have any desire whatsoever to engage in reconciliation or more punitive, vindictive, we have the whip hand and now you're going to pay. Every single thing that they have said and done points to just you wait Until we have power, because number one, we're going to make sure that an interruption like Donald Trump doesn't occur again. And number two, we will now have the ability to make sure that all you mouth breathers, all of you haters right out there are going to stop saying and thinking the things that we don't want you to say and think. And if people think that's hyperbolic. You need to pay more attention to what people are explicitly talking about, not on the fringes, not on the Dem underground, but these are people that write in the New York Times. These are people that are in positions of authority within the Democratic Party. Look at the squad. Look at some of the things Kamala Harris just said about we don't really want a country that has equality. We want a country that has equity. Well, you know what that means? That means government enforced outcomes, and that tends to end badly
0: always has it always will i just i want everybody out there to pray for our country pray for cooler heads maybe uh that that, uh sanity will prevail yeah it would be
1: good to pray for the for whoever wins that we have a president at the end of the evening or into the early morning tomorrow and that whichever side is defeated Uh, They accept the outcome of that election. Now, I say that with one caveat, which, of course, is there may potentially be very good reason, particularly if there's any kind of shenanigans, that uh, one of the sides may not be willing to accept the outcome of that election. I actually think what would be best is either Joe Biden wins by a lot or Donald Trump wins by a lot such that. There's yep. really, it's beyond the margin of fraud. It's beyond the margin of litigation. And so really people have no choice but to accept this is the result. Unfortunately, I don't see very many scenarios in either direction where that happens.
0: No, I I, I would agree with you. I'd, I'd like it to be clear cut, but I don't think it will be. Uh, and I think both sides will be angry and want to fight. Um, I, I don't know. I I'm just praying for sanity (laughs) for all parties involved because I don't, I don't think there has been a lot for the last four years. Um, You know, going back to the Van Jones thing, he said, you know, the best thing somebody can do is accept the results of an election, except literally his party did not accept for the last four years, the results of an election. I mean, I I think it's sad that it only seems to go one way, but here we are. Um, We'll have to talk to you on the other side and see where we stand hopefully we can get together again and talk about what the results look like uh i don't think again i don't think we'll know tomorrow night
1: i suspect that if you and i reconvene in in let's say four or five days that we will still not have uh well if if trump is ahead we will not have a declared president
0: yeah i i think you're looking at a 2000 election situation whether it's pennsylvania or some other state but i likely it's Pennsylvania uh, that you're going to see litigation for weeks. Um, you're going to wake up every day and go, "Okay, what what's the count today? <laughs> you know, yes. wh- where are we at?" Because it, it's going to be that that kind of thing. But we'll have to wait and see. So, yep. really long tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we will have more to talk about on the other side. But uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. <laughs>
1: This has been a Hannah Tree Production.